0: G'day, and thanks for joining us for another Australia Talks, the official podcast of the r Australian subreddit. I'm DK, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, R.D. Today is Tuesday, the 7th of November, and our topics this week are why does Australia still offer golden visas? We'll get into that in a little bit. And, of course... This week, we have the 2023 Shonky Award winners. (laughs) They've been revealed. Stick around because, especially if you don't know what Shonky means, (laughs) of course, we have our two ticks town talk in the middle. And then we'll jump into this week in Australian history with our Deet. And we'll finish off, as always, with a 4X bottle top question. But before we get into all of that, let's catch up with the last week. Today was Melbourne Cup Day. Did you win any money?
1: Oh, g'day, DK. I can tell you, I won absolutely no money because I had absolutely no interest in it and absolutely mo- no money on there. Look, I've I have gotten into um, uh, into the Melbourne Cup spirit before. In fact, I've even I've I have been to the I have been to the Melbourne uh, Cup. Uh, oh. God, many many years ago it was primarily a car park thing that we went in inside um look not not really my my scene in fact probably the the only racing uh horse racing that I've I've been to I've got an, uh, a, an uncle and he's like, he's mad about the horses and it wasn't uh wasn't a particularly big carnival or t- whatever you call it, a horse fiesta or, or, uh, it's, there is a name. <laughs> God, all Everybody who's into it is going to be saying, you idiot. It's called, uh, whatever, whatever it's called, um, yep. uh, gone to the races with, uh, with him at a, you know, not a particularly big one. And, you know, he was sort of explaining a few things and it was small enough that you could actually go up and have a look at the the horses and the jockeys. And that I, I, didn't mind it but it's uh yeah not really uh not really my my thing so nope didn't have uh, much to do with the uh the the melbourne cup and until you told me just before our uh back and forth before we started the podcast couldn't have even told you the the winner and you know what i've gotten already who it was,
0: was <laughs> and, it- and so have i <laughs> <laughs> <was cool>. well,
1: <laughs> something mighty or something. well whatever it was it was a it was a, an incredible win obviously
0: <laughs> uh without a fight that's what. It <laughs> without was. a fight Thank without you. a
1: fight there yeah. there we go so yes that's the that was that's my my melbourne cup uh thing down here other than that i've just been uh catching catching up since getting back from the last last week getting into the garden that although I was on the on the mower um and noticed that the movement in the grass and there was a, a blue tongue which is it's good we've got a few couple of blue tongues around here and uh they're out and active at the the moment so I was very pleased I didn't run over it I look out for them uh haven't hit one yet which is good and there's a couple of areas where we've got some rocks where I know they are so I go a bit slower and the noise they uh, they pull into the rock, but what I hadn't ever seen before was, um, uh, we, we've got like a little well. You call it probably call it a pond, a tiny dam, whatever. Uh, it's not particularly big, but you know, birds and other things drink there. And I was mowing the other side of it, and I looked down. And thought, oh, okay, there's the blue tongue having a a bit of a drink. That's that's fine. So when I put the the mower away, I went back and just sort of stuck my head over the uh, the bank. And it was had half its body in the water and was just resting there. And I have no idea why a blue tongue was dipping its tail in the water, but it seemed happy. Um, it's just not something I expected to see. I don't know whether it was a cooling off thing that reptiles do or whether it was getting the zones. But yeah, that was a new one for me.
0: Yeah right. I've never. I can't say I've ever seen that either. Is, was it particularly hot down your way today?
1: Uh, it was. That was. Uh, that was yesterday. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was pretty hot. So I am yeah. guess it was was cooling itself down. But yeah, it was just. Yeah, it's it's fun seeing those things. Think, uh, that's new to me.
0: A little bit of a little bit of nature. A that's little hot. bit of nature. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I, too, uh, I like to frame it as I didn't lose any money at the Bellwood ah, Cup um, because I didn't bet any money. I have in the past, um, but I just it's not it's not really for me um, unless I'm going to a specific event, which which. Uh, you know, around the country, there are Melbourne Cup events uh, on, you know, at pubs and hotels and all sorts of things. And, of course, local race courses uh, all around the country. Everyone gets into it. Uh If I go to an event, I'm more there just because of the fun of the event, as opposed to the fact that I give a crap about the Melbourne <laughs> Cup. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, this year, no, no event. Couldn't couldn't be bothered, quite frankly. Um, no one I knew was really into it this year, so it wasn't a big deal for me either. Uh, but we just got back from camping, which is probably why I'm not super enthusiastic about my one cup. I'm, I'm a bit tired. Uh, and mm. bushfires, holy moly, lots of bushfires going on in South East Queensland. We have had a little bit of rain, though, so it's sort of got quite a lot of the bushfires under control, um, which has oh, been really, really great. good. Yeah, the last couple of days we've had a bit of rain, so a little bit, not a lot. I'm hoping the grass might turn green, but I'm not so sure. Um, But I think it's really helped getting some of these fires under control, um, which is really important. So where we were going originally to go camping uh, was a little spot up on the beach. uh, But there's only one road in and out, and there was a fire... Uh, a a bushfire in that national park Uh, not where we were going it is quite a bit away but it's only about 20 30 Ks away and so I was a little bit nervous let's say to go I didn't want to get trapped if that road got cut off and yep. if if the wind sort of changed direction, there wouldn't be anything that would stop it from really heading heading towards us. So I thought, let's not take a chance. Let's not be silly. Um, and you know,
1: this this was a family camping trip.
0: Yes. So oh, it's, it's extra not, paranoia. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just the boys. It's it's we've got the kids and and all of that. So not worth the risk. Um, nope. So we went to a, a, a little park uh, not far away actually very close less than an hour's drive away um and it was nice it was a nice little place it's just it's actually just a farm that they've um uh put a couple of toilets uh in mm. and some showers and uh twenty five bucks a night you can sort of camp there and I thought, oh this could go either way, but I'll tell you what it was actually really really cool oh. um it was a good little spot, so we may go back there again um It was on the river, which is nice, but there's not a great area to swim there. Um, And that river has crocodiles in it. So, Yeah, well, that's probably a downside. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just a little bit. So, you know, um, it's not full of crocs. So I've never heard of anyone being attacked or anything there, but it's in the back of my mind that perhaps, you know, uh, we probably shouldn't be spending too much time uh on the river's edge sort of thing like that. So, yeah, um, great, yeah. I think great for winter probably, um, just because, you know, it's a bit cooler, don't need to swim necessarily. Uh, and the, um, they've got toilets and showers and stuff like that, basic facilities, but great for winter, probably not for summer when it's super hot and you want to get in the water. Uh, yeah. It's just a bit too tempting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to mess with a saltwater crocodile. No, regardless of size. No. Well, especially because they're kids as well. So even a small one's going to basically eat them. So, yep. Let's move on. I was trying to think of uh, a <laughs> tangent yeah. <laughs> <in> there, <laughs> I <think> but of, <laughs> I can't.
1: I've got segue.
0: <laughs> um, golden visas are known to attract dirty money from around the world. So why does Australia still offer them? Australia's controversial Department of Home Affairs is currently in crisis, thanks to dogged reporting by the press. The Secretary of Home Affairs, Mike Pizzullo, has been suspended and his conduct is being investigated by Dennis Richardson, the former head of ASIO. Richardson is also examining allegations that the department agreed contracts with figures in Nauru suspected of involvement in corruption. Last month, the former commissioner of Victoria Police, Christine Nixon, found the Home Affairs visa system was being exploited by criminal syndicates involved in various serious criminal offerings and activities for profit. And honestly, I believe her. You can always trust a Victorian police officer to smell out (laughs) corruption, wherever it may be. (laughs) (laughs) Thus far... A staggering 26,000 foreign nationals have been granted permanent access to Australia, not because they were a great fit for the community, not because they brought with them much-needed skills or a dose of high culture. They were granted this precious gift simply because they had the money. It's called a business innovation and investment visa. And it was promised in 2012 that it would usher the country a new front of working capital. The program required the investment of either five million dollars or fifteen million, or the promise of great entrepreneurship and business activity, and has been branded the 888 Visa Triple Eight. But rather than the triple fortune, as the number promises in Chinese numerology the 888 program was quickly exposed by the Productivity Commission as providing Australia a pitiful return. Now, I just want to just insert a little bit here. That number, 888, was very specifically chosen because of the Chinese numerology link. Yep. And apparently, it's meant to be fortunate. So, we might come back to that. All the way back in 2016, it was found... Uh, It found that there are significant investor visas may have actually crowded out other providers of venture capital that perversely, they may have brought people to Australia with less business acumen that would otherwise have arrived and overall made a trivial impact accounting for one fifth of one percent of total foreign investment. Hardly the boost that was promised. At the time, the government said that the introduction of the golden visas, as they've been known in the business world, was prudent. Other attractive destinations were themselves seeking to lure the world's high rollers with similar schemes. A decade on, though, Australia is now one of the few Western countries to still offer such a program. Elsewhere, they've been terminated not because they were... Uh, not just because they're wildly inefficient, inefficient, sorry, but also because they attract dirty money. And Australia needs to ask itself, what money comes for free? There are always strings attached. There are actually five countries that make the vast majorities of these visa application applications are deep. Do you care to guess which five countries you think they are?
1: Okay, the five countries are uh, triple eight. <laughs> Ch- China. <Yeah. laughs> China, China has to, has to be number one.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, it's it's number one at eighty seven point wow. seven percent of applications.
1: Wow, that is a number one. God, okay. Uh, hmm.
0: Now, good luck with the other four.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, try- I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of um, other places that have had a, like sort of a, a strongly developing middle and upper class. Okay. Um, is India one of them?
0: No, surprisingly not. Wow, that does surprise me.
1: Okay. uh Hmm. How about Indonesia? They've had a lot of development.
0: You were close, but no.
1: No? Not even on Indonesia? Okay. No. Um, Malaysia, I'm guessing, would
0: be one. Malaysia's number three at
1: 1.5%. Number three. um, Even though part of me is sort of inclined to do uh, US, I don't know if that would actually um rate for our recent region are they in the top five at all no they're not yeah didn't didn't think so uh, singapore wouldn't be would it
0: no i'll put you out of your misery oh a little well, bit. hang
1: on let me have one more guess
0: all right i have a high level of confidence that vietnam is going to be there vietnam is number five at 0.9 ah. percent oh, so who are two and four Two is Hong Kong at three percent.
1: Oh I know, uh, technically uh, a separate yeah. country.
0: Uh, and number four is South Africa at one point two percent, which uh, kind of that did surprise me a little bit. Yeah.
1: Mm, okay. Don't don't know that I would have got there on South. Uh, maybe maybe not. I can sort of understand that hearing. So
0: just I'll repeat those in order. It's China. Yep. Hong Kong, Malaysia, South Africa, and Vietnam. But but the overwhelming majority, literally almost 90%, are from China. Yeah, well, that's probably not a uh,
1: big surprise, as we said, given the, the naming of the visas. Look, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that a government program has failed to live up to expectations. Look, to me, as a principle, um, sort of like if you're going, if you're going to be uh, bringing a whole lot of, of money and development, like money alone to me is not enough. But if you're going to be bringing businesses that can generate jobs and uh, particularly start off and potentially start off industries, well, I can see that as a principle um and a, a reasonable approach so i get that but it just seems like the system is getting uh getting gamed and unfortunately i suppose for me if people are gaming the system i'm not sure that they're super qualified to be a a, a great citizen or resident if that's how you're starting out it's not really a good it's not really a good start
0: i completely agree i, I like People that buy their way in, they don't share the Australian values that this country is built on. Um They're coming in here, as we've already said, the Productivity Commission uh, has found that their impact accounted for less than one-fifth of 1% of total foreign investment. That's disgusting. Like, you know, and as I said at the start of this, the Home Affairs... The Department of Home Affairs is basically embroiled in a you know controversy as as it seems to just go from from one to another quite frankly yeah. um
1: not, has it has it exactly got a great reputation has it
0: no, I think it might be better just to to tear it down and start again i guess this is particularly bad um i think. Especially as we spoke last week about the the numbers of of migrants coming into the country and everything like that, of, of all people, these visas seem to be the ones that least deserve it, and are probably, honestly, are probably given priority as well. Um, yep. You know, just it, it, it just goes completely against, like, the, the Australian culture of a fair go and all that sort of stuff. Um, look, if it, paid,
1: if it paid off, I could see an argument for it. You know, when you're talking about, you know, two-fifths of bugger all of half a percent of nothing, uh, it's pretty damning. But if they came and they said, look, uh, we get that it's uh, giving, giving people a priority or a privilege or whatever you want to do it, but this business was started, that business was started, and it's actually contributed, you know twenty times more than what it's cost us, and it's generated all these uh, these industries and jobs and that. I could think, yeah, I can sort of see the argument for that. But if you don't have that argument, you've got to say, well, follow the money. Who's actually winning out of this? And that's the, yeah that's the bottom line for me who's actually benefiting from this and it's obviously not the taxpayer and it's obviously not the Australian community but someone's getting a benefit from it
0: exactly and and I think the reason this government um, hasn't scrapped this already is because this was very much the the brainchild and uh, of the Minister Chris Bowen, who, at the time back in two thousand and twelve when this he, he sort of came up with it was his baby and everything like that, he is now the Energy Minister in this current government, so it's sort of a bit awkward to go, "Oh, hey, remember that other really big deal that you worked in your career?" And it was complete failure. You know that huh. reflects poorly on the party and, and particular, particularly Chris Bowen. So, so I think. So, so this scheme's only eleven years old. Uh, back from yeah. Back in two thousand twelve. Wow. Okay. Two thousand yeah. Two thousand twelve. It was. It was. So. It's still a reasonably new, you know, and 2012 was a long time ago in terms of geopolitics, in terms of business. You know, the world's changed a lot, especially in the last few years. Um, mm. Now it's time to do it, but I feel like this is possibly something that's going to be quite quietly just removed. Um, I don't think they're going to make too much of a hoo-ha about it um, mm-hmm. if, if they do remove it, but ugh, it's, it's disappointing to see that this sort of thing is still going on.
1: It's interesting, too, that you uh, said that there's been several um, countries around the world that have also tried this and have basically given it the arse, really.
0: Yeah, there there was quite a few um, countries, particularly in Europe, uh, that did have uh, this exact, basically the the exact same um, visa process. uh, But... Uh, what they found was it it basically just was a magnet for dirty money. Um, And as a result, you know, people trying to to buy their way into countries, I I don't know how they thought this was going to be a good idea, quite frankly. Um, You are always going to attract people that probably can't go through the normal channels um, or want to fast track their you know, their, yeah. their process into it sort of thing. So uh, but, but I don't know. Presumably they're going through
1: whatever checks um, are done anyway. I, mean, I can understand the, the process being fast-tracked and uh, you're saying, well, look, in, instead of me, you know, being employed by someone or doing this, here's what I'm offering you. But I would assume that every other check is the same. God, maybe, maybe that's the completely incorrect assumption. Maybe well, there's extras there as well.
0: Out of the out of uh, all of the visas, the twenty six thousand that have been approved, only about five hundred and twenty two were rejected. Ooh, right, so, okay. compared to normal applications, so it very much seems like. And I think you know a golden visa is a good way to describe this. If you've got the cash, they'll let you in um, with very few uh, uh, rejections. So, which is again, it's not. It, you know this, and I said this before. It just it just spits in the face of the whole Australian idea of a fair go and and, and all yep. of that. You know, um, yeah. It, it, the whole thing rubs me the wrong way, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, look, I I can understand that too. Despite me saying I can sort of possibly see an argument for it, um, the reality of it is well, the reality the, the reality of it is is poor and I really uh would like to know the details of who exactly is
0: benefiting from this. Well, it's definitely not small town Australia. So let's not- move on to this week's two ticks town talk okay
1: this week's two tick town talk is um well what attracted me to this town was that uh i was there only the other week so listeners may recall i had it say again
0: I said, oh, cool. Oh, oh,
1: cool. (laughs) I I thought you were surprised at something already. Uh, Listeners may recall that I had a a trip up to Cape York, and I noted down this town to see if it had some interesting information for the Two Ticks Town talk. Um, The town we're talking about is Laura in Queensland, not to be confused with Laura in uh, South Australia. Um, And what caught my attention about Laura was some Aboriginal mythology connected to the area. There's a couple other details there, a couple little interesting ones that, or ones that I found uh, interesting as well. And just before I get into the about Laura, you mentioned that with the the crocs at the camping site. Last time we were up that way, there was a a pub uh, that did like you know a good hamburger and uh, you know, counter meal types of things. We thought, oh. Looking forward to that. And the bloke, uh, my mate that I was going up there with, had just looked ahead because he's one of these organized people, thank God, uh, (laughs) to see what it was. Uh, Turns out that the bloke who owned the pub had been out on a fishing trip with a mate and a croc got him. And unfortunately, got him, got him. Oh, Um, no. Yeah. So he was – they they shot a couple of crocs and found – uh, found his remains in both of them, um, and so consequently the, the pub was closed. Um, which oh, it turns that's in terms a tragedy of prom-
0: in of itself. <laughs> yeah,
1: well- <laughs> yeah, I know it's coming out of my mouth. I mean, you know, people people probably appreciate the humour of it in some ways, but uh, yeah, look, there's a little memorial to him in there, and I thought, oh God, you know, it's you never know.
0: You never
1: so, know. Laura. Uh, a little bit about Laura. It's a rural town in the Shire of Cook, Queensland, a uh, population of 228 people. Uh, that's up on the Cape York Peninsula in far north Queensland, as I mentioned. Uh, it's on the Peninsula Development Road, the only road that extends towards the north of the peninsula, terminating at Weeper. Uh, Aboriginal people, unsurprisingly, have made their home In the Laura River Valley for at least 50,000 years. Uh, And in the wet season, they would camp under rock shelters and caves on the high ground. Uh, The area was on the borders of the Kokawara and Kokajawa lands. Uh, Kukutai Pan is uh, the Aboriginal language spoken in the area, though there's a whole, uh, there seems to be quite a a lot of uh, different nations. Uh, around there so before we move on to the main part there was one part that I thought was interesting to touch on on the history of the locality and that was the um, resistance by aboriginal people up there in 1873 gold was discovered on the palmer river and then travelers came from cook to the palmer Goldfields across the laura river at laura, laura and this was a particularly violent period as up there, the local Aboriginal clans, uh, they waged a war of resistance against their land being taken and the encroachment of the, the Europeans. There's a 2004 paper that I found called Battle Camp to Baralga, a local study of colonial war on Cape York Peninsula, 1873 to 1894, by Nolene Cole, and she had the following commentary. Uh, As predicted, the forces of nature and Aboriginal resistance wreaked havoc on the miners. Edward Palmer of Gambula Station later reflected, The golden news from the far north diggings was of a most glittering nature, but there was a reverse side in the hardships and privations endured. A major reverse side was the disaster of race relations. So following well-entrenched patterns in Queensland, the process of colonisation became a cross-cultural struggle with the features of a situation of war. So in analysing the nature of the cooktown Palmer region, historians have identified as key issues uh, the devastating environmental and cultural impacts of alluvial mining, the failure of the Queensland government to avoid an established pattern of conflict, The intensity and duration of the Aboriginal resistance, uh, various impacts of mining, and the role of the native mounted police. So from that paper and other readings, the level of resistance by the local Aboriginal people was was unexpected, and despite the possession of rifles by the Europeans, they were hardly um, one-sided battles. And look, on various episodes of this podcast, we've had stories of these type of resistance uh, and different uh, particular Aboriginal uh, resistance fighters. So personally, I don't think it gets enough attention when Australian history is discussed. And I thought I just, that, that stood out to me that it wasn't just a move in. It was <laughs> really, it was very hard, very hard fought um but i also thought it was interesting too that the the resistance was such that they had to uh bring in the native mounted police so native mounted police uh camp was established near the lower Laura crossing to protect travelers now when i looked that up there's a, look there's a long history of australian native police well i'll leave a link in the the show notes for people who are interested but here's a brief outline of the Euro, uh, of the units Uh, Australian native police were specialised mounted military units consisting of detachments of Aboriginal troopers under the command of white officers appointed by colonial governments. They existed in various forms in colonial Australia in the 19th century and in some cases into the 20th, uh, were primarily used to patrol the often vast geographic areas along the frontier. Uh, in order to conduct indiscriminate raids and punitive expeditions against Aboriginal people. Uh, this was a, God, this was a, a, a horrible, horrible sentence. A, the native police proved to be a brutally destructive instrument in the disintegration and dispossession of, this, uh, of Indigenous Australians. Armed with rifles, carbines and swords, they were also deployed to escort surveying groups. Now, what they would do is they'd regularly recruit um, Aboriginal people from lands and areas that were really distance to the areas they were deployed. So that's to ensure that they would have you know, very little familiarity with the local people, and so there was less um, less concern about you know the the, the shooting and um, the attacks. On, on other people there. Look, I suppose humans are a human, but it was uh, I don't know, it's, it's a certain certain sad aspect of that to me. Definitely,
0: definitely. Yeah. Um, say what you will about the British and the British colonies, but they certainly knew how to occupy and control uh, local people that had a lot of experience in doing it and unfortunately they knew the best ways to do it and the the uh, native police were were part of that plan. They used their own people against each other, which is, you know, a really dark stain. Queensland was particularly bad as I understand it compared to other parts yep. of the country. Um, and it's, yeah, it's definitely a big black stain on on Queensland's history. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, so, yeah, look, I want to, to mention that, um, I, I just thought it was, it was interesting, particularly as there was such resistance around that area. Uh, what really caught my attention was uh, Laura is in Quinkins country. Uh, a couple of spellings, but the, the spelling we're using here is Q-U-I-N-K-A-N-S, Quinkins. Uh, and Quinkins country is on the Australian National Heritage list. Quinkin rock art. Uh, and might recall that during the wet season, uh, the locals would shelter, local Aboriginal people would shelter in, uh, in caves and, and uh, rock shelters. Uh, Quinkan rock art refers to a large body of local, nationally and internationally significant Aboriginal rock art in Australia of a style characterised by their unique representation of Quinkans, which I... Thought I've never heard of what a hmm. quinkin is found among the sandstone. Now, there's another name you may be more familiar with instead of quinkins, and that is a yowie. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's what I thought. I thought, ah, okay. So there's a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people in Australia would be more familiar with the term uh, yowie. So it's one of, uh, one of several names for an Australian folklore entity that is reputed to live in the outback. Uh, it's got uh, roots in Aboriginal oral history. So in parts of Queensland, they are known as Quinkins um, and Jugabinus. In parts of New South Wales, they are called Gindaring, Jarrawarra, Mingowan. Putting it there. Actually, there's a whole list of um, names for these Yowie-type creatures. They're common in uh, Aboriginal Australian leg, uh, legends, particularly around the, um, the eastern state. And there's a picture in the uh, Wikipedia one that has a yaoi uh, swallowing a manhole. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's various, various, uh, various uh versions of them so it's usually usually described as a hairy and ape-like creature standing upright between two and 3.6 meters so six foot to 12 foot tall their feet are described as much larger than a human's but alleged yowie tracks are inconsistent alleged yowie tracks are inconsistent in shape and toe number um the Yowie's nose is described as wide and flat. Now, behaviorally, they're saying some report the Yowie as timid or shy, and others describe the Yowie as sometimes violent or aggressive. So, uh, look, it's you know, there's many ways to describe it, uh, many uh, of its characteristics. So, look, they don't, the, the origin of the name um, describe it is unclear. Uh, there's a term used in 1875 among the Kamilaroi people uh, there's another one, uh, whereas it? Kamilaroi people are uh, saying Yowie is a spirit that roams over the earth at night some thought uh, it could be from Aboriginal legends of the Yahoo and another st- story is that the creature is part of the dream time but what it has done, aside from being with the Aboriginal people, it has also become, uh, had a history of sightings in, um, in the European people. 1987, um, there was a column, uh, who was it? Margaret Jones wrote that the first Australian Yowie sighting was said to have taken place as early as 1795. Uh, so look, it's it's interesting that you have this uh, this this creature has made its way from Aboriginal mythology into Australian mythologies. There's a whole list of um, different sightings, some through the the 1850s, and someone's saying I saw one here, but there was one uh, where. Did we get here? It was Senator Bill O'Chee. Um, excuse me. Yes, that's right. In 1977, former Queensland Senator Bill O'Chee reported to the Gold Coast Bulletin that he had seen a yowie while on a school trip in Springbrook. Springbrook. O'Chi compared the creature he saw to the character Chewbacca from Star Wars and he told the reporters that the creature he saw had been over three metres tall. So I must admit, it did, it did appeal to me, that, um, that continuation of the, the legend. Um, there's a few others there. Again, we'll, we'll leave a, a link in, in there, but you have you know, sightings right up to 2000 i 14, and that picture of the Yowie swallowing a person whole. There was another related Aboriginal mythological creature, um, because that depiction stood out to me. And when I when I read its description, I thought, okay, it's not a Yowie, but it's got to, We've got to share this one just because it's it's mm. just a bit bizarre. Now this one's called the Yarramayawu. And it's a legendary creature found in Australian Aboriginal mythology. Uh, According to the legend, the creature resembles a little red frog-like man with a very big head, a large mouth with no teeth, and suckers on the ends of its hands and feet. It's said to live in fig trees, and instead of hunting food, it described, uh, it's described as waiting for unsuspecting travellers to rest under the tree. The creature then drops down and uses its suckers to drain the victim's blood. After that, it swallows the person, drinks some water, and then takes a nap. And when it wakes up, it regurgitates the victim, leaving them shorter than before (laughs) (laughs) the victim's skin has a reddish uh tint to it that it didn't have before and if this process is repeated the victim becomes a yarameyawu themselves i thought that was another interesting frightening one uh but also part of the thing that i'm going to add to these sightings is now, I haven't told anyone this story before, but reading about the Yowie, I'm gonna say I wonder if I might have seen one. Now uh. I, Yeah. Uh, we had a, a a pig hunting trip. Um oh god, what was it? Probably about ten ish years ago. And uh we're dropping. We're getting dropped off uh, at different points on the property to wait at strategic areas until uh, well, until after dark. So I was um, I was there under a tree. Of course, the Apostle birds. I don't know if 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 people don't know, there's these birds called Apostle birds, and they just love to just gather in groups and. Hang above you, sounding the alarm, saying "Someone's here! Someone's yeah. here!" It's, it's so bloody annoying, but um, and they don't shut up either. And look, dust dust started to fall, and as we know, uh, up in North, this happens quickly. Uh, and the apostle birds just went silent. Oh, that's just a bit odd. And I remember feeling like there was this presence nearby. And when I looked around, I saw probably about fifty meters away in the bush a shape of what looked like a huge man. Yeah, probably two and a half meters tall. I was a bit freaked out and looked away, you know. If you look away and you don't see it, it's not happening. <laughs> uh, but I looked back and I could still mm-hmm. make out the shape. Uh I was getting definitely more freaked out by that stage. But then Suddenly, had a little bit of feeling of calmness for some reason about it. Turned my head away, and then when I looked back, nothing was there. Now, I accept well, it could have been a trick of light. Probably, it probably was. That's probably the the actual reality. Um, but reading this story, maybe. Just maybe it was one of the Quinkins, the Yowies, depicted on the cave walls. Near this week's Two Ticks Town Talk of Laura in
0: Queensland. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I like. Yeah, I like that. I've I've always loved. Um, I think they call them cryptids, which are like you know the 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 folklore creatures around the world, and obviously the Yowie is one of them. Ngiyiti, probably the most famous. Um, but there's a lot of ape-like creatures. Uh, there's stories from the Vietnam War where they encountered basically, you know, a, a creature very much described like the Yowie uh, in the jungles and things like that. And I wonder if it's just a bit of human psychology or I don't know, maybe there is something out there. It's, it's kind of cool to feel like we don't know everything about the world and things like that.
1: So It is. You sort of reason it out. You sort of, sort of think, well, surely... Yeah, you know, there was that there that you know, one of them would have been trapped or you know, clearly photographed or something. But I don't know, it's it's I don't know. As you said, maybe it's a psychology thing, maybe it's simply the mind putting patterns together. Look, for me, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a mind putting my mind putting a pattern together. But if you had asked me there and then I'd say there is a huge
0: freaking man in the bush. Behind <laughs> Maybe him. it was. Maybe swag. It, was, <laughs> it was a swagman who got lost. In like- oh, no, <laughs> this, was,
1: this was big. And because when I was looking at this, I saw the stuff with Laura come through and then saw there was a, a statue of a, a Yowie, And it was just sort of like a little thing went off in my head. And I thought, oh, my God, that's exactly the shape that I saw. Um, or, you know, very close to the shape that I, I saw. So, yeah, I mean, of course it was one of those funny things I haven't sort of told anyone before. So <laughs> And now you're telling you an, inter- it
0: <laughs> an international audience. <laughs> nothing, nothing like oversharing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, but you're right. That's it. We need an expedition. Get out in the bush. Yeah. This weekend, all of our listeners, I want you to get out there, find your local cryptid, whatever it is, wherever you are in the world, There's, there's, there's they're everywhere. There's always stories about creatures in the forests. Get out there, find something, uh, and, and have a good time. Meanwhile, exactly. let's move on to the 2023 Shonky Awards. So this last week, Shonky. the... Eighteenth annual Shonky Awards were unveiled. What What are the Shonky Awards? Uh, I hear you ask. Well, they're for products and services and businesses that have left Australians frustrated, infuriated, and most importantly, out of pocket. Now this comes from the consumer group called Choice uh, so these are highly subjective um,
1: <laughs> but oh, choice, choice isn't bad choices. we were to mention yeah. too uh, what
0: Shonky meant so they're, they're products that have left uh, uh, so Shonky's a bit, it's like dodgy I guess uh, yeah, that's it's a bit Yeah, it's a bit, uh, I think, honestly, if I, I don't know the etymology of this word, but if I found out it was, it was a combination of dodgy and shaky, that kind of feels, (laughs) that feels (laughs) right. Um, So, basically, in a nutshell, you know, products and businesses and services and things like that, that everyday Australians um, have just been basically rorted uh, out of, out of their hard-earned dollars, especially as 2023 has been a really hard year for a lot of Australians with across cost-of-living crisis, showing no sign of slowing down. And instead of doing the right thing by the consumer, the Shonky Award winners have only disappointed the general Australian public, and that's no good. So I'll do a quick run-through of who's the winners, and then we'll go into a little... A little bit more detailed. I just I'm having a
1: bit of a laugh for those people who are thinking shonky, never heard that before. Uh, well, they're going to explain it later, and oh, that's the same as sort of dodgy.
0: Anything yeah, like, basically. <laughs> what the hell's dodgy? <laughs> Look mean? up dodgy. It's like in a dictionary when you, you find a word shonky and it says see dodgy, and then you got a dodgy <laughs> and it says see shonky, and you're like, yeah. I don't know what these words mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> As we get into these and explain them, if you're still not understanding what's going on, I feel like the the picture will, will come together for you. So, let me run through the winners and then we'll go into a little bit more detail about each of them. Because some of these I didn't actually even know were things until I read the Shonky Awards. So, Coles and Woolworths, number one, for cashing in during a cost of living crisis. Number two is Rent Tech. For data gouging people desperate to find a home. Number three is personal alarms for being unreliable and hard to use. Number four is Kogan First for tricking customers into signing up to a $99 deal. And last but not least is an Xbox-branded mini fridge. It's a fridge that doesn't make things cold. (laughs) So... Um, so first off the rank is the, the Coles Woolies, the Colesworth, uh, and their Profit Optics. Look, we did this the other week, so I'm going to keep this really, really one, one very brief, but for our listeners that may have only just joined us and don't know what we're talking about, um, with, of course, rising rents, increased interest rates, and the soaring cost of living has had us all financially stressed, which makes it all more frustrating to see both Coles and Woolworths the two largest supermarket chains in Australia posting massive profits this year of 1.62 billion and 1.1 billion respectively more than 60% of shoppers believe the big two are making more money from the price hikes because the cost of food and groceries is up 56% from January 2021 also now we have to pay for bags. And in Queensland, we spoke about this as well a few months ago, they got rid of plastic bags. It's all paper bags now, and that's fine. I don't mind the paper bags. They're fine. Except sometimes the paper bag doesn't cut it. you got some wet stuff and you need a plastic bag. But you can't buy a plastic bag because they don't sell them anymore because we've got to save the turtles. It's very frustrating. Anyway. <laughs> Well, let's move on to number two, rent tech. Now, I don't rent. Neither of us, uh, the two of us, are renters. We both uh, own our own houses. So, uh, this wasn't something I had no idea about until the time. Same article. here,
1: completely new to me.
0: So outside of grocery prices, one of the biggest issues impacting cost of living crisis is, of course, rent. Uh, people who rent aren't just struggling to pay ever increasing rental prices; they're often struggling just to find a place to live. Again, nothing new here. We've spoken about this before, but in this context, there are third party rental platforms, which Choice is calling rent tech. Uh, These are apps that often force people uh, to, to, sorry, the real estate agents force people to use these apps in order to apply for the rental properties themselves. So, you know, I'm Joe Bloggs. I want to rent a property. I turn up to a rental inspection uh, and I get told, download this app and fill out the form, which sounds all well and good, except these apps are being asked to hand over a Ridiculous amounts of personal data. Bank statements, references from their last five jobs, Ooh, photos of the children and their pets. Absolutely ridiculous. Photos um, of the. S- s- I, I obviously. Photos of the children. Photos of the children and their pets. The pets one, I don't necessarily have a problem with. It. If I real estate didn't ask me for photos of my children, that's, that's a. Big red flag. That's a wow. hard no from me. Um, and unfortunately, of course, uh, with the p- increased proliferation of data breaches that we've seen in Australia as well as all around the world, and not to mention the myriad of ways companies mine our data for profit, these rental apps, rental application apps, are more than worthy of a Shonky Award. And I completely agree mm. with that. If you are listening to this and you've had an interaction with this, especially if it's been a really bad one, please let us know. I'd love to know more about this. Uh, next is personal alarms. This one personally kind of frustrates me because my Ooh. wife's grandmother just bought one of these and I'm like, oh. I could just tell it was a ripoff. Anyway, this is uh the Alderly and Infirm are of course amongst the most vulnerable in any society, uh not just Australia, but it's for this reason Choice has given the twenty twenty three Shonky Award to the entire personal alarm category basically entire
1: the issue the entire category
0: that's oh, it God. uh the issue oh. is that basically most of these devices don't do what they're supposed to do they just simply don't work and they're unreliable at best so for our listeners that are uh, probably our younger listeners uh, that are listening going what do you what is this what what is a personal alarm i want you to think of uh Grandma falls over. I've fallen over and I can't get up. She reaches for her life alert button or or whatever they are these days. And it makes a phone call to a loved one uh, and to let them know I've fallen over or maybe I need to call an ambulance or something like that. Sounds like a good idea. The problem is, is that These are really cheap, crappy devices that are being sold, generally at a a fairly steep price, considering what they are. Mm. Uh, And most of the time, they just don't work. So, absolute hunk of junk. Hogan first. For our international listeners that don't know, Kogan is an online retailer. They want to be the Amazon of Australia, even though... Amazon is in Australia, but uh, they mostly sell tech products. And I have purchased some of this stuff in the past and, you know, you get what you pay for. It's a lot cheaper. Um, so, I had one of their TVs. It was actually fairly good for the price. Uh, but basically, here's how it works. You go to onto their website, Kogan or Dick Smith's uh, as well, which is owned by Kogan. Uh, oh, you I didn't have- know that. Yeah, Dick Smith is only online now. Their bricks and mortar stores shut down a few years ago and Kogan bought the name uh, and they operate an online store. It's basically a a copy of Kogan. Um, So you go on to either of their online stores, you go to check out and free shipping is already ticked by default. And you think, sweet. Free shipping, that's great. Everyone loves free shipping. Here's probably what you've missed in the fine print, though, is uh, that free shipping was actually a two-week trial of their subscription service called, called Kogan First. And if you don't oh. cancel that in the next two weeks, you just got stung with a $99 fee for the subscription service, which is that pretty- is sh- That is That is Bloody shonky in my opinion. Yep. That's that's cheeky. That's borderline immor that's immoral. And that in no. my mind, that's that probably should there. be almost illegal, actually. You're tricking people into signing up to stuff. That's not cool. Um we need a royal commission on this. Ha! Um, yeah. And I, last hopefully you can get Kogan to set the terms. <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least is the Xbox Mini Fridge. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just absurd. Um, The Xbox Mini Fridge is a result of a partnership between Microsoft, of course, and an electronics brand called Uonic. Never heard of them before, probably for good reason, as this gimmick fridge was developed in response to online jokes about the Xbox Series X. Uh, video game console because it looks a little bit like a fridge Uh, in the choice test chambers. So they got one of these, they tested it to see how good it was and what they found was their test chamber was 32 degrees Celsius ambient temperature and it took 24 hours to make 8 cans of uh, non-specific soft drink soda pop uh, to a not very cold 21 degrees Celsius. <laughs> For context, 21 degrees Celsius is warmer than the temperature of the water that came out of their tap. <laughs> uh, and, so it's a fridge that doesn't make things cold, and it's incredibly energy hungry as well in their testing they found that if you ran the xbox mini fridge 24 hours a day it would pull down and ludicrous 376 kilowatts a year at an ambient temperature of 30 degrees celsius oh, are you kidding me for context right that's a lot of numbers dk i can't keep up for context that's roughly the equivalent to a 500 liter compressor fridge that you probably have in your kitchen right now. So we're talking about a, a small appliance that can't can fit like 10 cans in it is using the same amount of power as your actual fridge that can hold what? Multiple cartons of beer, a whole bloody pig, you know, and the rest. Yep. Absolutely ridiculous. I know it's a gimmick, but there are going to be people that are going to be using this as an actual fridge because, you know, oh, fun, it's, it's an Xbox. I'm a gamer. I'm a buy it. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Like, fridger, fridges aren't expensive. Like, there's no reason this, this shit nah. exists in this buy state. Buy a bar fridge. Exactly. Exactly. Get a bar fridge. So, if you're one of these and people that's. If you that's get it from
1: Kogan, remember to uncheck
0: that box. Ex- that's really, really good advice. <laughs> Go to Kogan, buy, buy a bar fridge. Don't opt for the free shipping. Or if you do, no, actually, do do the free shipping and then immediately before you log out, once it's gone through, go and cancel that two week trial of Kogan First. Set
1: an yeah, set an alarm on your, your your phone. Or look avoid avoid Colesworth and look out for a special at, at Audi in their their middle aisle.
0: That's uh-huh. it. Or jump, you know what, uh, jump on Facebook Marketplace. The, 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 there's always fridges on there. They're normally going cheap, uh, and someone's probably getting rid of their beer fridge that they don't need because they can't afford to put beer in it anymore. Uh, there you go. Problem solved. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about solving problems, let's move on to this week in Australian history.
1: I come from a land of love. Right this week in Australian history, we're covering 31st of October to the 6th of November. Let's go. October 31st, in 1851, the New South Wales Legislative Council votes unanimously. Against transportation, in any form whatsoever to any part of Her Majesty's Australian possessions. 1923, the start of 160 consecutive days of over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, why did I not get the Celsius for that?
0: That's uh, 37.7 degrees
1: Celsius. Thank you. Uh, The start of 160 consecutive days of over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 point whatever, Celsius at Marble Bar, Western Australia. Now, we talked about Marble Bar in the 27th of September episode of Australia Talks. I think uh, that had been mentioned then by uh, DK. So if you want to go back to that episode, we date our episodes and uh, you should be able to find it. 1923 the victorian police strike commenced half the police force in melbourne went on strike and rioting and looting ensued so i looked a bit up on that and the strike started late in the evening of 31st of october 1923 the eve of melbourne's spring racing carnival when a squad of 29 constables at russell street police headquarters refused to go on duty citing the continued use of spies by management. There was a whole lot of background to that, that basically, yes, they were getting spied on by management. Uh, The Vic police uh, force at this time was understaffed, lowly paid in comparison with other state police forces, and had no industry pension, which the government uh, continually deferred promises of introducing. So on Friday and Saturday nights, when they were on strike, riots and looting occurred in the city, resulting in three deaths, a tram oh. being turned over. Oh how they de- Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, how the hell are you turn over a bloody? Obviously, they managed it, but that's slightly impressive there. Uh, plate glass windows being smashed, merchandise being looted, and large crowds gathering to witness what was going on. Get what was going on. Constables on point duty were jeered at and harassed by people until they retreated to the town hall where the crowd tortured them to come out. Uh, so they ended up using <laughs> tramways and uniformed sailors to help direct traffic in the absence of police. I'm pretty impressed they turned over a tram. Uh not yeah. in, <laughs> 1961, on October the 31st, Parkes Radio Telescope was officially opened by the Governor-General, and that's in a film called The Dish. Uh, November 1st, 1791, a party of 21... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you'll see why I'm laughing at you. Uh, 1791. A party of 21 convicts Escaped from Port Jackson Port Jackson And with an obviously limited Knowledge of Australian geography Attempted to walk to China
0: Some <laughs> Some die
1: in the wilderness While others are recaptured
0: <laughs> Port, So for our listeners Our internationalists Port Jackson is in basically what is Sydney Um Yeah <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, and uh, I'm pretty confident there's no (laughs) part of Australia you could leave from in which you could walk to China.
0: You're going to get wet feet, let's just say that. Yeah. i would be a good strong swimmer. (laughs) 1792,
1: the Philadelphia becomes the first foreign trading vessel to visit Sydney. This was a US vessel. Ah! 1853, the first postage stamps of Tasmania are issued. For some reason, November 1st, I've actually cut down this list. It was massive. Um, nof- 1914, the first contingent of the first Australian Imperial Force leaves for Egypt. 1916, a general coal strike begins in eastern Australia. 1926, General Motors opens assembly plants in Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, and Perth. 1945, Australia becomes a founding member of the United Nations. 1986, Joe Biocchi-Peterson wins his first election as Premier of Queensland, with his party, the National Party, gaining 38.6% of the vote. And 1990, the Australian domestic aviation market is deregulated. Uh, November 2nd, 1840, construction of the causeway across the Swan River in Perth begins. 1922, Qantas begins its first scheduled flights between Charleville, uh, Queensland, and Cloncurrie, Queensland. 1962, the first performance of the Australian Ballet Company in Sydney was of Swan Lake. Go for a classic, why not?
0: Oh, Got it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, seen uh, Swan Lake down uh, here by the Australian. Yeah, I think it was the Australian Ballet. Um, Yeah, it wasn't bad. 2002, the sixth Gay Games Under New Skies was what it was called, kicks off in Sydney, Australia, with 12,000 odd participants.
0: Didn't Uh, even know the gay games were a thing. I imagine you have to be gay to participate. Well, I
1: imagine I didn't know. I don't know. Maybe they don't is. discriminate. Yeah. Well, uh, <clears throat> it would be interesting to. Yeah, there's a whole lot of questions there. Um, <laughs> I just, I suppose I was thinking, how do you, how do you if, if How do you someone prove who, it? How yeah. Do you, how do you prove it? Exactly. You need uh, three written
0: a- affidavits from other gays to let you in. I, I, honestly, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, and we've got this, this app that we've just uh, managed to get from the rental market called – what was that? <laughs> Rent <Yeah. Red> tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 2004, uh, into our area of expertise here, Maccabi Diva becomes the first mayor in history to win back-to-back Melbourne Cups, which we both knew, of course. Of course. Uh, <laughs> November 3rd, 1927, the steamer Tahiti collides with the ferry Greycliff in Sydney Harbour, killing 40. Oh. okay. 1984, the National Film and Sound Archive was opened in Canberra. The first, 1985, the first Australian Formula One Grand Prix takes place on the streets of Adelaide. Uh, it's now in Melbourne, but it did have a good run in Adelaide. 1999, the Reserve Bank announced an interest rate increase of 0.25%. And that was the first since 1994. So there'd been um, the five years without uh, an interest rate rise. They raised wouldn't,
0: that, five- wouldn't that be an easy job to be on the Reserve Bank? Uh, 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 quite, quite possibly.
1: <laughs> they raised them to 5%. Um, but interesting to see the chart I look back had the January 1990 rate um at 17.5%. So there's probably a lot of people not aware.
0: I think they'd been dropping it but not increasing it during that period of time. So 17.5% is absolutely wild. And part of the reason that happened was because of – um. Floating the currency is a long story, but yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it is a long story. But it's uh, it's an interesting thing for people who are looking at interest rates now and, and justifiably saying that's a fair whack. I point out there's a lot further they can
0: go, <laughs> yeah, it can get a lot worse.
1: <laughs> and as so often comes on here, when it comes down to uh, mates, politics, and the party and the taxpayer that's the order that you're in. So, so just remember that and, and see what's possible uh, to do when you're, you're planning. Never trust them. <laughs> November 4th, 1930. Oh, again, oh, I suppose it's this time of year. 1930, Farlap wins the Melbourne Cup for the first time. Uh, 1994, the Sydney Airport Third Runway opens. November 5th. Non-stop flight by a pair of Vickers Wellesleys from Egypt to Darwin, which set a new world record—a uh, new world record for distance of eleven and a half thousand k's. so uh, a bit over seven thousand miles. Uh, November 5th, in 1950, the Korean War, Third Battalion, Royal Australian Regiment successfully assaulted and holds a crucial hill during the Battle of Pakchon. And sixty-five, the 1st Battalion of the Royal Australian Regiment is deployed in Operation Hump in Vietnam. 1975, Annette Kellerman, professional swimmer, vaudeville and film star, dies in Southport, Queensland, aged 88. Now, she was interesting. I'd heard her name before, so I thought I'll dig in a little bit more on there. She was the, one of the first women to wear a one-piece bathing costume Instead of the uh, then accepted pantaloons, a name which is, is as unappealing as the actual items itself. Uh-huh. I say, have you got your pantaloons on? <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, I'd rather not swim. Um, her costumes became so pos- popular that she started her own fashionable line of one piece bathing suits. Uh, she also helped the, popularize the. The Sport of Synchronized Swimming, so I don't know if that's a highlight, but if you're into synchronized swimming, I imagine it is. And uh, authored a swimming med- manual. Appeared in several movies, usually with aquatic themes, unsurprisingly. Uh, there was a, a film, 1916 film, called A Daughter of the Gods, in which she was the first major actress to appear nude in a Hollywood production. Um, she was also in yeah yeah and I oh my god you look at you look at the pictures and they're all very yeah very tame by today's one she's i mean she's obviously nude although there's one thing saying that she thought she, they she might have been wearing tights or something like that and you know she's got lots of long hair and strategically covering things but I suppose things are what they are in the day. So she was an adv- advocate of health, fitness, and natural be- beauty throughout her life. So, yeah, she, she hooked into it. She was who she was, and good honour. her. Uh, home straight, November 6th. Uh, <laughs> coming to the home straight on the racing day, 1914, mm-hmm. the Australian forces occupied Nauru, 1989 First meeting of the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation, APEC, held in Canberra. And finally, in 1999, Australians vote to keep the British monarch as their head of state in the Australian public referendum. And that is um, the end of this week in Australian history.
0: I'm thirsty. Now, this segment is called the Forex Bottle Top Question. A little bit of uh, uh, trivia from the top of, or the underside, I should say, of a bottle cap. I've got two this time because one's pretty easy, maybe, and the other one's a little bit more tricky. Let's get into them. First question What is Australia's largest terrestrial predator?
1: Ooh, what is Australia's largest terrestrial predator? That's interesting making that distinction.
0: Because it's not a crocodile.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I, was, oh, well, I didn't even think of a, a croc. I was thinking of a, um, a wedgie, a, a wedge-tailed eagle. Uh, hmm. Uh that that has been or is still around. Still around. Present tense. I am going to go. The spotted
0: quoll. No, good Damn guess it. though. Yeah. Kind of kind guess. of
1: pulled that off. That would have sound. <laughs> would have sounded so good. Uh, when give me I a tell hit, you, give me a hit.
0: when I, I'll give I you. Is it a dingo? It's a dingo. Oh, <laughs> I was like, God. you're gonna kick, oh. you to kick yourself when you hear thing. Of course it's a dingo. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, you got one, another one to redeem yourself.
1: You could you could have had two seconds and said, Yes, it was a spotted quoll. That's incredible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which near which C very specific C. Is the capital city of Darwin located? Capital city of Northern Territory, not of Australia, obviously. God, that's which sea, not ocean.
1: If I get this, I'm going to have a single guess. Is it the Coral Sea? Yes. Oh, thank God! You want to have another guess? (laughs) Oh no, it's not.
0: Oh, sorry, I thought you said yes. Damn. No. um... Nope. If it was Cairns, then you would be right. The Coral Sea is is on the other side of Cape York.
1: Ooh.
0: Which is, oh, God, I should know. You that. also have between, basically where Darwin is uh, and Cape York, so between Papua New Guinea, mm. uh, that's the Arafura Sea. So it, we have to go a little bit further around to Darwin off the coast of uh, the very western tip of, of the Northern, oh. Northern Territory, Western Australia. What's that sea there?
1: Territory, Western Australia. I have no idea. You're going to have What's- to tell me.
0: Okay, if you drew... oh, oh, give, me,
1: give me give me a give me a real newbie hint, please.
0: Uh, what country is off the coast there? Uh, you're talking Papua New Guinea? No, not north, Indonesia. Sort of uh, northwest, I guess.
1: Northwest, so it's Indonesia. There's oh, Indonesia? Sorry, no, oh, Timor Sea!
0: God, it's of the course. Timor right. Sea. Very good. Oh. Very good.
1: God, well, not very good. You had to basically bloody grab the hand and rub <laughs> my nose we, in it, didn't you? We walked.
0: We walked you <laughs> <walked> in. It's. <laughs> yeah. I could have been. I could have been. Uh, is way more difficult. Um, but I thought, no, we'll go. You'll get team or C. But no. Oh, no. You, no. You, you, <laughs> so you didn't win on the Melbourne Cup, but hey, you 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 got. We'll give you this one. Oh, that's
1: disturbingly generous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... Thanks for joining us for another Australia Talks, the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. If you have any feedback or suggestions for topics, please get in touch with us on the r slash Australian subreddit or email us at Australian subreddit at proton.me. We'd also be grateful if you could subscribe and give us an honest review as this helps us out with the algorithm immensely. Otherwise, join us next week for another episode of Australia Talks. And remember at r slash Australian. We are Australian. Thanks for listening and tell your mama love it. See you, DK. See ya.